I'm John Perry. I'm Ted Cupper. And this is Constellation, making the graphic novel. Join us as we build an original science fiction world. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Constellation podcast. How are you doing, Ted? You know, I'm feeling good today, John. How are you? Uh, I'm all right, too. Um, We're not going to do Media Club today because we're going to get right into uh, a very specific plan that we have for today's episode, uh, which is that we're going to summarize where we are so far because we've done now 10 episodes of us arguing about the minutia of the rules of this world. It's all been very helpful for us, hopefully interesting for you guys but we think it's time to maybe boil it down in one concise episode. Here are the natural science rules of our of our universe so far. Right. And if you have not been following along and you've just found the podcast, uh, we want to suggest this might be a good place to start. You don't have to go all the way back to CO1. Uh, you could listen to this one and get a summary of what we've basically been doing the last 10 episodes. Um, and we will try to use this as a bit of a milestone and kind of get into some other different questions about uh, what's going to go on in the story as we move forward. But for now, let's get right into it. Um, let's start at the very beginning, John. Like, let's just basically restate the, the premise, uh, right? So this comic is going to be about uh, a world where at some point in the near future, the entire world gets scanned and uploaded into a simulation called the Constellation. And uh, no one knows who created the constellation or why. Uh, it could have been passing aliens. It could be uh, future transhuman versions of ourselves. Uh, no one really is sure. And and unlike other simulation stories you've seen, uh, no one is going to be able to get out of the simulation, right? This is not uh, the Matrix. This is not a story about jumping back and forth between the real world and the simulated world. Everyone's just in this new reality and has to deal with it. Yes, and um, they know it too. So unlike the Matrix, they do not they're not being that's fooled right. by this. So maybe a simulation it's most convenient to use that word because people know what we mean, but I think simulation implies some deception. And there really is no deception here. I mean, the uh the universe that people wake up in uh after they've been scanned is uh not trying to hide the fact uh of what it's done, right? That right. It, we'll get more into the changed. details of that in a second. But basically right it's a world where nobody can get out nobody knows why they're there uh but they do know that they're there and the constellation itself is uh it's called that because it's divided up into an infinite number of worlds and the world is really a major unit for us a world is like it sounds it's a whole planet or or space that uh uh, is created by this simulation and each world has its own set of rules which were uh, calling, I, are we, what are we calling them actually? What are we calling the rules of the word world? Uh, well, we're, you know, those are governed by contracts, which we'll get into later. Right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I don't know that we have any word other than rules for now. So okay. that's what we'll say. Okay. So they have um, rules and they're governed by contracts. So that's, uh, that's, that's the, those are the worlds. And so inside these worlds are the minds. The minds are the, the people like you and me that uh, existed prior to this scanning, to this transition that occurred, right? So when we wake up in this new world, uh, we each are granted a home world, right? So everyone wakes up alone in their, in their own world, right? Called a home world. Um, so maybe before the transition, you were shopping for groceries, you were walking down the aisle. Or maybe you were asleep in your bed. Maybe you were asleep in your bed, but then you wake up and you're now... Uh, alone in this Serengeti, this sort of uh, like early, you know, ancestors of man might have lived in this kind of space. Uh, it seems to be, you know, the simulation's best approximation of what a nice natural habitat for humans might be. There's some yeah. some running water. There's plenty of food. There's a tree with fruit in it. Uh, it's very comfortable and calming but it's nothing like where you were before the scan happened. Right. It's a sort of default human good world. You know, if you're religious, you might see it as a kind of Garden of Eden or something like that. Um, but it's a, it's just a default that each mind, every single human being, um, uh, as well as all the other multicellular living things uh, on the earth, they're all scanned all at that moment. 
um, and everyone gets its own species-appropriate homeworld. Um, and another thing that we want to say that's really I want to say this really clearly before we move on is that the minds can only exist inside of worlds. So we're imagining that the way, the structure of this simulation is such that there is no uh, void or space where a mind can have an experience outside of one of the worlds. It has to be in a world. So it's either in its home world or it's in some other world that it's decided to visit. Um, but it's never like nowhere. That's not a thing in this. That's right. That's right. Um, so, okay. So that's that's it for, for minds inside of worlds. Now, obviously, if you wake up in this new reality, you're going to alone, right? Even if it's a nice, comforting Garden of Eden type environment, you're going to want to know where your friends are, uh, where your family members are. Right your loved ones. And so if you ask questions, uh, there is a voice that will answer back. Uh, the, you, the only person hearing it answer back uh, would be you. It kind of answers back in your head. But it only answers when you speak out loud. And, and this voice that you're speaking to in your head, we're calling the exec, right? Because it's, it's like a sort of AI assistant that allows you to interface with the rules of the constellation. Um, but it's not super helpful in all of the ways the imagined assistant could be. It, it remains relatively neutral. It can't read your mind, and it can only understand external commands. So it can't, you know, you have to say right. out loud Right, so most people would be speaking to this thing. But That's if, right. if you're not able to speak for some reason, uh, and you can communicate with your hands, or with letters on a piece of paper, or with some other method, uh, it could also respond to other external um, communication, uh, but it can't, like you said, read minds. It can't just like uh, read into your mind state, figure out your wants at a deep level, and then just provide them. It doesn't seem to be human in that way. It's like a little bit of a cross between like a Siri and like uh, the uh, Janet character on The Good Place, right? Like a kind of powerful uh, agent that can do things for you, but only if they're explicitly and clearly um, formulated. And so you could, for example, use it to immediately start changing your home world. Uh, you could say, I want to have wings and I want to fly. Uh, and it could immediately do that for you. Uh, as long as you were, you know, precise about that. Uh, and you can ask it questions like, you know, where is, uh, where's my child, <laughs> right? I woke up in this right. scanned world and, and, and I, I'm alone and I'm, I'm scared. Where's my son? Um, and if, as long as you can, you know, explain some some basic facts about your son, uh, what their name is, maybe what they look like, maybe where they were uh, during the transition, maybe they were in the same house as you, right? Uh, it is going to be able to locate, like a search engine, the home world where your son is currently located, uh, right? And allow you to to teleport there and basically reunite with your loved ones. So. That's probably one of the first things a lot of people, things a lot of people are going to do. Right, right. So people will probably reunite with their closest um, uh, family members and friends pretty quickly, and then it might take them a little longer to find other people who they're further away from because it's harder for them to describe uh, to the exec who those people are. But if you know uh, some some information about someone you should basically be able to find them using this exec uh and uh we should also say that we talked about like how much intelligence do you have to have to communicate with an exec um and it's enough to non-ambiguously communicate externally so humans definitely you know babies not not really uh but but young kids yes and uh uh, we think even some apes or very advanced animals could probably end up communicating with the exec enough that there's, you know, a gorilla somewhere in a gorilla paradise who just keeps making banana tree after banana tree or anthill after anthill or whatever the appropriate food source actually is. Uh, I'm not a zoologist or <laughs> anything like that. Uh, uh, but we don't think that most of the multicellular organisms that have been instantiated after the uh, scan will end up doing any significant finding or using of the exec. They'll mostly just be trapped in their uh, sort of primal paradises forever, uh, with the exception of perhaps maybe some apes or 
other or, or like some dogs that get found by their human owners or something like that. Sure. So, yeah. So most animals are going to remain in their their built habitat, uh, doing just fine because they've got everything that they that they need. But they're not going to be able to hop around between worlds or anything because they can't get the exec to follow explicit commands. Right. Uh, now, with in the case of human babies, which you mentioned, uh, they're going to be safe, but they're going to need their parents to come find them, which in, in most cases, you would hope someone would do that. Uh, right. Now, the, these homeworlds, right? Every living thing has a homeworld. These are not going to be the only worlds. The constellation can contain infinite worlds, and that's because minds could go ahead and create new worlds whenever they want. Right. Um, and that's so, an exact feature. So if you ask the exec yes. to make you a world, it will do so. Um, so you could make uh, a, a new world for you and your friend to hang out in uh, or, you know, a world for any kind of thing. Now, in the beginning, obviously, people will just be adapting. But eventually, you could imagine all kinds of entertainment possibilities or interesting worlds and experiences that you could design and then share with other people. And that, of course, would be a big part of the uh, way that people pass their time and engage in economic activity in this world is making and sharing worlds and giving people access to them. Right. Um, you and can also delete worlds, uh, yeah. which wouldn't happen that often. Yeah. Uh, but it's important to say that when you delete a world that has minds in it and has people in it, uh, what happens to those minds, and this is what happens sort of always when you know, the simulation doesn't know what to do with the mind, is it ejects it uh, back to that mind's homeworld. So even though you can create all these infinite worlds, we maintain this concept of a particular homeworld, which you can change, right? The homeworld is kind of like a homepage in your browser. It's basically... Right. You can reset it to another world yeah. if you want to be ejected there instead. But your default is this, this place where you're alone and safe is sort of where you get ejected to if something goes wrong somewhere else. That's right. And... We alluded to earlier the fact that, you know, you can find your friends in their worlds if you give explicit enough instructions, and that's because all of the original homeworlds default to being unlisted. Uh, but you can also, if you want your world to be private, you can not list it, uh, and people won't be able to find it anymore. Wait, the, the homeworlds default to being listed, isn't that right? Oh, I said that backwards. Yes, yeah. sorry. The default worlds all uh, default to being listed, and if you want to unlist them, you can do that. Right. So if you don't want to be found, um, you can hide your address, but otherwise you're basically in this sort of searchable index that the exec has access to, and therefore anybody who's able to figure out to ask for it also has access to. I also want to make clear, because I think we might be uh, jumping over this, uh, the reason that minds can create and delete worlds is because worlds, even the home worlds, right, they have an an admin or an owner and the person who creates it or the person whose homeworld it is, is the, uh, is the creator owner admin. And yeah, they can, that's right. They can determine a lot of things about the world. And uh, among their rights is the ability to make other people admin or to give away their own adminship. So it's not that it's, um, it's not that it's non-transferable, but the, the default situation is that when you make a world, you are the God of that world. Um, and anybody else who, who visits it, it's up to you whether you want to make them co-gods or just, you know, visitors. Um, and that's right. So that's a, that's important. Uh, it doesn't really like, make sense to delete worlds or whatever if you don't have that power. So yeah, you, you, everybody has that power. And so a lot of what this simulation does is it sort of opens people's minds up to the idea of like, well, what kind of world would you live in if you could make a world? That's right. And that's, I think, a lot of what we want to sort of thematically uh, explore with this story in this world is is sort of what uh, that utopian impulse leads to. That's right, because ultimately this is uh, an environment that gives people a great deal of freedom and latitude, far more than they have today, um, right. and you know takes away all kinds of scarcity, uh, material scarcity at least, uh, mm -hmm. but it still leaves you know, people that are social animals in a space uh, where they have to search for meaning and, and they can, you know, search for that with this incredible tool of being able to build infinite worlds. Um, and of course, we've already alluded to this, but you can freely move between worlds 
generally speaking, you can teleport between worlds and it's sort of a costless thing where you just disappear from one world, appear in the, another. Um, you're never in two worlds at the same time. You're always only in one world. Um, and there is some delay, very minor delay, right? It's mostly costless. Like if I want to go to another world, I tell my exec I want to do that and I'm there. Maybe there's a second delay, something like that. Um, yeah, it could even be microseconds. It's just really long enough so that you can't strobe between worlds meaningfully, right? I mean, so if you were to try to jump back and forth between two worlds so fast that you were practically in both places at the same time, that wouldn't work. Like, you'd have yes, to be we don't there want that. for long enough to at least issue the one command to your exec to go back, and then there'd be a microsecond delay of it loading you up. And so that would make it just long enough that it feels like the blink of an eye. It feels like discontinuous. And um, more practically speaking, you can't turn your own consciousness into a data conduit to make like a supercomputer. Because one of the things that we are trying to do here is build a world that exists inside a theoretical supercomputer, but that, you know, in which you cannot, in which you cannot run simulations recursively. Because... While that may be a possible thing, it's not something that I think is going to be fruitful to deal with dramatically. <laughs> That's right. And we also have made this choice that there's not going to be any communication between worlds, right? One world cannot message another or send an email to another. Right. Uh, so you have to make the choice to teleport in to that other world, right? Um, and again, because movement is pretty cheap other than this tiny delay we mentioned, uh, that's how people are gonna gonna address the fact that they can't uh, communicate across worlds. Right. Right. Um, in fact, the only thing that you can carry with you between worlds, right, because you can't carry a piece of paper or an object between worlds either, um, would be whatever is stored in your in your analog memory, right? Somewhere on a computer in the simulation uh, is your mind file, right, representing your brain, and right. that brain you know, has been scanned and continues to function like a biological brain just on a computing substrate. Right. Still makes memories. So you can remember things and go to the next world, of course, and, you know, then write them down when you get to the new world, but you can't actually take things with you. Right, right. Your memory works just like our memory works here. It is a, we assume, molecular level simulation or quantum level simulation, if that's necessary, of a human brain. Um and it might be like slightly less prone to forgetting than a biological one because maybe the, you know, it doesn't decay uh, quite as much as your bio brain does, but it doesn't work in a different way. It's not like searchable by algorithm. You have to remember things by associating with them. Um, and it's just as mysterious as your, as your memory is now. Um, inside a world, you could potentially have uh, if it's allowed, a recording of every one of your sensory inputs, but um, that recording would exist in the world, not in your memory, so it wouldn't travel with you to any other world. It would just be That's accessible right. in whatever world it is currently existing in. Yeah, in your home world, uh, I mean, you could, you know, build a a a situation that feels as connected as today does, right? That has a internet within that world. Or even and more ability. so. Yeah, it could be like an instantaneous internet, basically everywhere within the world. That's right. So within worlds, you can there's there's very little limit to to what you can do. You just can't communicate across worlds. Um, right. And the next point, we've already alluded to this, but there's always a contract, right, that connects every mind to the world it exists in. There has to be a contract there. And that's where those rules reside that we're talking about. And, and, and Ted, you have like earlier talked about the admin rights right that's all falls within this contract right right uh being an admin just means that you have a a very permissive contract with the world you're in that allows you to do just about anything in that right world. yeah the, the analogy is being the admin of a server right and it's like uh if you are the you know the root user uh you can do anything on any of the you know uh volumes connected to the machine and that's sort of what the person who creates the world has as their default rights but then they get to determine um what visitors to the world can do um and they also can determine uh what they if they want to give up or delegate any of their own um powers they can 
determine that as well. And basically, we think there's two types of contracts. Again, to keep it simple, there's an all-time contract or there's a duration-of-stay contract. So all-time is very straightforward. I grant you uh, these rights for all-time. So if you and I are agreeing to build a world together, then maybe you wouldn't agree to do it unless I granted you admin rights for all-time. And maybe I would think that was fair because we're going to share the work. So I would grant you admin rights for all time, and I would also keep my admin rights for all time, and we would both have them. Or, uh, you know, if we have somebody who's coming to visit us and we don't know if we like them, we can grant them, you know, pretty wide rights for the duration of their stay. But when they exit out of our world to go load up in another world somewhere, that contract is null and void, and they have to renegotiate with us if they want to return. That's right. Uh, and and this should be said too. I I was I really want to stress this point that every mine has to have a contract with the world it's in. So what that means is when you enter a world, you are implicitly signing an entrance contract. Right. And of course, uh, there are certain uh, defaults uh, that would be in place. You know, if you haven't obviously negotiated anything special yet. Right. Um. And uh. So we'll get to those. We'll get to those defaults uh, uh, later. Okay. Um, but once you're in the world, you're subject to that contract. You, if you violate it, uh, there's a lot of different ways that that could be handled. Right? It could be handled by just ejecting you back to your home world the second that you do something you're not supposed to do. Right. Uh, let's say it's a no swearing world, and uh, and you do that. Uh, I could handle it by prevention, right? Because it could be a world that just literally does not allow you to do things it doesn't want you to do. Right. Um, or there could be some in-world punishment, right? Maybe when you uh, when you swear, uh, you know, like a pit opens up beneath you and you <laughs> right. fall in, in, into uh, into a dungeon where you you know have to have a timeout session for uh, for an hour. So who right. knows? Right. So right. There's those. Those are good three examples for swearing. It's like either you swear and you are immediately ejected to your home world. Because some, you know, uh, AI bot heard the swear and reported it and the, the contract automatically executed and you were booted. Or maybe you try to swear, but you say bullshit instead. You know, it's like the good place. It's that's the prevention version. Or like you said, maybe you fall into the tiger pit. Um, and any of those can be implemented, but they have to be specified. So, you know, when you agree to it, that that's what's going to happen. Uh, that's right. Yeah. And, uh, um, the contracts, as you can tell, they really are pretty flexible. I mean, you have to, all of this happens through this question and answer interface with this exec, right? With this voice in your head. Right. And again, I want to stress that the exec does not have a personality. It's pretty neutral. You have to be pretty precise. So there is a fair amount of work that goes into getting the exec through trial and error to to do what you want it to do and set up contracts the way you want. But pretty much anything can be done with the big, big exception, which is that uh, there is an interest by whoever created the constellation in preventing those of us in the constellation from ever creating a supercomputer or upgrading their minds uh, or in any way creating a runaway intelligence inside of the constellation right uh, a runaway intelligence or a uh, a nested simulation. simulation those are yeah. the two things that it's going to try to prevent um so of course people will try to do this they'll try to pipe together minds or computers or something and you can build computers in this world and access regular computing uh, but if you access too much of it, um, basically things just stop working. And if you try to uh, upgrade your brain too far beyond like the smartest human level, uh, that also doesn't work. There's there will be limits on that. Right, and we we think of this as a security feature most likely. Again, no one actually knows why or who built the constellation, but. You could guess that they don't want their simulated entities, you know, escaping the simulation, for example. Right. Or maybe just drawing too much on their resources exactly. by building nested simulations. Yeah. Right, right. They don't want all of their resources to go to some world which is just running a simulation of the simulation itself and is not actually, you know, they, they want to avoid that kind of recursivity because it's not good use of resources for them. So they're going to probably try to prevent that uh, with some clever limits and that's what we've been trying to outline um 
So another thing we talked about is that there is a kind of dualism in this world. So we're calling these things minds, right? We're not calling them beings or bodies. And the reason is uh, the mind and the sort of physical avatar that, you know, uh, sort of stands in for where your body used to be, uh, exist separately in this, uh, in the constellation. And the avatar, you have tremendous power over. It can be changed quite a lot. And there will be some limits on this uh, based on what world you're in. Like one thing we were thinking is worlds would probably institute a scale limit where like you can't be more than twice as big as the smallest person or more than twice as small as the smallest person because it just makes interaction hard if some people are giants and some people are microscopic. Um, but that's more of just like a voluntary thing you agree to so that you can talk to other people. The truth is that you could make yourself, you know, look like a flying rhinoceros if that's what you wanted or, or whatever you want. And, uh, but the mind, um, is not like that. The mind you don't have direct access to, to change it. So you can change your mind the way you change your mind. Now you can take drugs, you can do meditation, you can do extreme events. Um, but so the, you can't like reprogram it or something. That's right. That's right. And we were talking about like you can't upgrade your mind's intelligence really. Like so, yeah. I mean, the only way you could sort of maybe tweak its intelligence is through these drug-like interactions. Which, of course, the drugs are simulated. So, you know, they're simulating um, a biological brain and some kind of you know change in the in the neurochemistry, the the chemicals sloshing around in the brain. Right. right? But it's it's a crude tool. Right. You right. can't just say raise my IQ 100 points or something. That's right. not going to be allowable. But you could smoke tobacco and uh, drink coffee every day and then, you know, not have any physical negative effects from that, unlike you would in our world. Uh, and that would raise your IQ one or two points every day, uh, I think. I think that's what the studies show. And, uh, you know, and then you could study a lot and you have infinite time. So you could get smarter, but you can't, like... Um, at least at the outset, we don't want it to be possible for you to just say to the exec, like, hey, exec, uh, genetic engineer me so that I'm the smartest person who's ever lived. And then it just does it like that would not. Right. We're saying that's not possible. Yeah. I mean, I think both for the purposes of our story being dramatic and interesting, uh, you know, we want to, you know, we want to create this like world that doesn't have material scarcity, but we still want to kind of preserve human beings and the variety of human beings that there are so that they can interact and have conflicts. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons. And then, yeah, the other reason is, again, tying back into this security issue, probably the simulators don't want runaway beings that are sort of self-improving themselves into something else. It, I mean, let's say they wanted to study us, then, right. I mean, they want to study what we are, not something that we invent necessarily. Right. Um, they may themselves be that thing that we invented, and that's why it's not interesting to them. Or it may be that they're worried about us escaping or us using up all the resources uh, to power some kind of super intelligence. That's right. Um, so I don't know. I don't know which of those things it is because I don't know whether they're aliens or uplifted humans or future humans or what they are. But um, it it could be. I think yeah, it works. It seems like they would have the same incentive no matter which of those things they are. So I think it works to say it. Um, now going back to contracts for a second. Yeah. Uh, we mentioned that there has to be a default contract because you can't have no contract. So right. if you Everybody's just waking in, up in their homeworld, yeah. so they have already basically been agreed to at least one contract. That's right. Yeah. And and or if you go into another world and you know no negotiation has happened, right, and nothing's been changed, right. Um, so those uh, those default contract settings are uh, low amounts of pain, right? Um, right some assumption that people don't like pain, don't want to feel it, but maybe some sign that some feedback that something's happening. If you put your hand over a fire, you know, it tingles. Right. Um, so it's not non-existent, but it's very low. Right. Uh, there is, and of course, all these things can be changed, right? So you could you could have a world full of pain if you're into that. Um, uh, no, no birth, right? So we are going to say that, you know, these are, you know, basically biologically scanned beings and uh they can reproduce in in the way that they would have reproduced biologically right so you could yep uh you can have children in this world um 
But that is not how things default, right? So it's as if everyone is sort of automatically enrolled in, in birth control. Right. Unless you tell the exec otherwise. And we're just sort of presuming that's implies a sort of steady state population philosophy. Since no one has to die, which is the, a later thing we're going to get to in a moment. Right. Um, that the simulators figure, well... Uh, no death is consistent with also no birth that keeps the population roughly static. But of course, those things can be changed. Right. Um, now, the death thing is a bit more complicated, right? No one has to die. You're just software, right? You're an immortal being. Um, everybody does have access to sort of their own internal suicide switch. So you can you can delete your own mind file um, if you if you don't. You know, I mean, I don't know. This might right. be a very troubling... You have control troubling... of your consciousness. So some people yeah. are going to find that this is an intolerable world. Yeah. Like, it's just too weird for them. Uh, they're too used to the old world, and they're going to delete. And that's fine, and, and those people will be able to do that. But we're also thinking that there's no reason why the default would be for your body to degenerate and age and die naturally the way that it does in biology, right? It could just... The setting... The, na the natural setting would be that you will continue um, to be alive for as long as you uh, uh, stay safe and choose to be alive. That's right. And so, uh, yeah, another default setting is sort of a fast regeneration of your avatar, which, again, is separate from your mind. But they are linked, right? I guess we should spell out that even though the mind and avatar are treated as separate entities here right they are they are obviously linked right if your avatar has eyes that feeds sensory input to your mind right so right. if you're if you're in a world that doesn't have regeneration turned on and your eyes got stabbed out well then you wouldn't be able to see with your mind either because that connection Correct. would be severed but so you would still uh, have the ability to tell your exec that you want to inject out of that world and go somewhere else um and depending on the the permissions of the world, you might have the ability to ask for to ask your exec right to to build you some new eyes to just I mean it would right. that would be a, a a feature or not of the world, but if the world had that feature, I think the you know the default would be that you can ask for instant regeneration on demand. It's just that that's not what happens by default. What happens by default is that your body rebuilds slowly. Um, but relatively but quickly, but faster than aging degenerates it. So like, for example, we were thinking if you were to wake up on the day after the transition and you had a non-genetic disability, like for example, you'd lost an eye or you'd lost an arm or something at some point in your life, uh, that would slowly just fix itself uh, by default. If you just hung out in your home world and changed nothing, your eye would grow back. Over time. Now, you could fix it faster, like you said, by telling the exec, but this default slow regeneration is, is already on. Right. And, it's and gonna, you might not know to yeah. ask. So you might be sitting there thinking, you know, you're uh, blind or blind in one eye or whatever, like you've been for however many years. And then slowly you realize, oh, I can see out of my other eye now. And then you start to think, I should probably ask for some other things. And you, you know, realize you can kind of, you know, fix some problems or even upgrade some elements of your body. Now, because regeneration is just uh, a setting, um, mm -hmm. and it's not instantaneous, it's a little bit uh, slow by default, right? Um, and or you could just shut it off completely, there is the possibility that your avatar gets completely destroyed, right? Uh, you know, someone like fires a cannon a at you. Yeah, yeah or you just explode into a million pieces because, sure. I don't know, you're in some, some video game world where you're shooting at each other, right? And And... It's more exciting if, if avatars can actually be destroyed. Right. Well, so what happens, right, once you, let's say you're just totally blown apart. Well, remember, the, the exec can't read your mind, right? So if, you, if your arms and legs are all over the place, you can't and you can't talk, right? Well, and your, uh, uh, your nervous system has all been destroyed, so you can't move your limbs anymore and stuff, right? So you're really not able to communicate externally at that point. That's right. You can't really tell the exec that I want to be ejected. And that's why, and this is a new thing for our listeners uh, that we came up with off the air, there's going to be a, a mercy setting, right? What, how does the program handle the fact that your avatar is so utterly destroyed, right? Now, one option is that it does nothing, and if regeneration is on, you slowly reassemble, right? 
And so that would just be a, a, a boring thing where you're waiting for right. it to happen. But we're imagining that the, uh, the default setting is that if it can eject you back to your home world, uh, it will do that. Right. right. And then, of course, at your home world, probably regeneration is on or fast. Right. Right. One way you might formulate this is like you have to have a functioning avatar. Like that's one of the things you have to have in order to interact in a given world. And so if you fail to have one at any given moment, then you're just ejected. You know, that's right. Uh, and uh, but another mercy setting, you know, if you sort of wanted a very extremely realistic uh, true to to earth days before this uh, scanning happened w- would be having your mercy setting be deletion, right? So that means if your avatar is destroyed, then your mind just deletes itself with it, as would happen today, right? Right. Uh, in a non-simulated world. We're thinking that's kind of a fringe thing. Obviously, most people wouldn't want that, but it's like many things in this world, um, it's allowable if people choose it. And that's again, one of the things we want to explore is when you give people total freedom, what kinds of sometimes bad choices do they do they end up making for strange reasons right right Um, and what would it take to convince somebody to enter a world where um where the mercy setting is such that you know avatar destruction means death uh when they have so many other options of other worlds they could enter that don't require that so you know it is possible to entice someone in but what would it take and i think that's a very dramatically interesting question so that's something we want to look into and of course the worst possible combination of settings that you know never go into a world with this combination basically yeah. would be uh no regeneration and a mercy setting of do nothing because then your avatar can be destroyed you can't communicate with your exec but you neither get deleted nor ejected you just sort of sit there um Right. And your mind file continues to exist on the server, but can't do anything. But gets no sensory input, can do no movements. It's just like you are instantiated in a black box forever, basically. Now, if you're the admin of that world, then you could, you know, uh, well, actually, even if you're the admin of this world, you can't communicate with your exec, right? Right. So someone else who was an admin could rescue you uh, if they chose to and had that power. Yes. Right. Um, but uh, if that didn't happen, obviously, that would be sort of a hell that you wouldn't want to fall into. Like so, if they reconstructed to... your avatar enough that you could speak, it wouldn't even have to be all the way, right? Then That's you right. could, then you would have the ability to either delete yourself or rebuild your avatar or do whatever you wanted to do at that point. Um, other default settings, uh, just Earth-like physics, right? Again, you can change right. them. If so you that's want. a default setting of the world, right? It's just, it's generally going to have Earth physics, but if you want to turn off gravity or something, you can. Um, people's avatars, uh, default to their physical appearance right before the scan. Right. Um, you can start modifying it right away, take away my wrinkles and make me taller or whatever you want to do. Right, right. Um, but, uh, it defaults to how you used to look. Yep. Um, default is that you can eject at any time, right? So, uh, you know, people can't set up a trap world where you, you enter it and by signing the entrance contract, uh, you know, all of a sudden you just can't, you're stuck, right? You have to then further sign a contract, right? That, that, that gives up your ejection rights. So you could waive your ejection rights. You can get trapped, but not like. Not, not as without the knowing it. Right, right. Not without right. knowing it. Not without consciously signing a contract. Um, and again, that's something that, you know, might happen depending on people's motivations. And- right. And there might be reasons to have um, places that you can only enter or only eject or both from certain locations. Like there might be like a portal in the world where people can come in and out, but then the rest of the world is maybe very agrarian or something and they don't want traffic. So you have to travel inside the world at whatever speed the world allows to, you know, once you, uh, in order to get in and out. Um, so you might imagine people would put themselves in worlds like that for certain reasons. Um, but the default would be basically you can flit in and out of any world from any place at any time. Or a convenient example might be children. Um, mm-hmm. to the extent that you can, uh, make sure children are your children are in the world where you have control right which would be your probably your you'd probably be incentivized to do that 
Mm-hmm. You might, if there's are very young kids, you might also want to make sure that they do not have the ability to eject at any time. You might want to trap them there uh, until they're such an age that you could trust them. I'm talking about, of course, very young kids, like, you know, a five-year-old, for example. Um, right, right. Because a five-year-old can speak. So you could imagine a five-year-old, you know, says to the exec to take them somewhere and then doesn't really know how to get home or something like that. So um, you would want to eliminate that possibility by getting your kid to agree to uh enter a world where you can control when they eject that's right yeah um now again there's no material scarcity in this world no one needs to go hungry no one necessarily even needs to sleep but things like sleep and hunger um are still sort of urges that people feel by default because that's what traditional physics says that you'll feel but it's not a painful thing because like we said pain is set very low right it's just sort of a nagging oh i want to eat now um and of course you can indulge that right there's nothing that should prevent you from eating all the fancy meals you want or just saying you know what hunger's a hassle let's just turn it off completely that's all uh, under control of the world creator. Correct. So we already mentioned birth, right? If you if you create a world and you change the default setting, so birth control is off, then you could have a child the old-fashioned way, and you know, nine takes nine months and the whole deal. Yep. Um, when that child is born, they are enrolled in the contract of the world they are on. Um, if you birth them on a world where you have total admin control, which you would probably do if you were smart, then you would be able to sort of. Uh, control that child's upbringing um but what about you know everyone's software right so what about uh uh copying yourself for example so i think we're saying that that is not allowed um again we're we're imagining that the the people who created the constellation do not want sort of runaway population explosion um or you know other exploits that might you know allow people to to overtax the system and so copying is is not allowed. Um, right. Uh, and, unless there's some sort of hack, you know, maybe that people discover sort of 100 years later. And that's, as sort of a side note, that's something cool that we want to do with this constellation, which is that, you know, there's these sort of rules that people are, have to deal with because they're stuck in this new reality. Yeah. But sort of probing and exploring those rules is a kind of science that people in the simulation can perform over time. And certainly you might learn new things over time, right? People may not know that birth control is off, or sorry, birth control is on at first and that they can turn it off until later. And just similarly, they may not think they can make, yeah, copies. Uh, But maybe there is some hack down the line and it takes literally 100 years of question and answer with the exec before someone stumbles on the way to to achieve that. Right, right, before they realize the way to actually change it. And so, right, so uh, as a default... You can have a baby the old-fashioned way if you and your partner both turn off your birth control, um, but you have to go to a world where that, you know, is some, or, or create a world where that is allowed. And, um, and then, uh, you know, you can do various kinds of science in this world. So some kinds of uh, birthing that happens with the aid of science could probably be simulated i think as well so you could do ivf or something like that um but uh what about ais right so i mean one of the things you're going to be able to do is uh if you're the god of the world uh you can say you know make me a friend uh and that will and a, a person will appear or make me a dog and a dog will appear uh, but those we're thinking are not simulation. They're not emulations of human brains or dog brains the way that uh, the other people are. They are instead uh, a kind of instantiated AI that is useful uh, but subhuman level. That's right. Yeah. So I mean, if you want to make a exciting world that has you know you know sort of non-player characters or or right. actors in it that you know fill roles. Uh, you can do that, and I mean they're far better than whatever you know AI characters we have in video games today. But they're right. definitely not fully conscious and sentient to the degree of an actual mind. Correct. Um, and you know uh, th- th- those limitations might show themselves in a few different ways. Um, you know those are some details that we'll probably work out when we get more into the specifics of our story. Um, but it's important that 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 limit be there. Yeah. So um, this is another. 
uh, expression of the same limit of like it's not trying to do an intelligence explosion. Uh, so it would allow these AIs to be created because they're so useful. They could uh, provide services and provide like sort of acting uh, to make things richer. Um, but they are not going to be substitutes for human beings. Uh, so what, what the main uh, real result of that is that people have an incentive to seek each other out and not just live exclusively in AI fantasy lands. Um, not that you wouldn't do some of that. I think people would, but uh, you would have, you'd get bored with them. I think the way they handled the, the Dr. Manhattan created characters in Watchmen is a good example of what I'm sort of imagining for our AI, like things that are a bit useful, but a bit brittle. Right, because we are imagining if you want to build your own private paradise here, yeah, obviously that's uh, a choice you might want to make. Yeah. Um, and for many people, that might be the end-all be-all. That might just be what they do once they figure out the power they have. Right. But uh, the you know, if you want to interact with other people that are you know not shallow, right? Uh, that's not going to cut it over time, right? Right. Uh, you know, you, you, if you're just hanging out with the AIs after a while, um, you know, they may not be the most interesting companions. And that allows us again to explore these interesting sort of social dynamics that we want to explore. Like, uh, you know, what does competition look like in this world? Right. Uh, you know, everyone has godlike powers, but aren't they still going to compete for, for attention, for status, for access to the, the coolest worlds? Um, or aren't they going to chase meaning in various ways and form associations and religions of different kind? And all of that is enabled by this this very important rule that you can't just, you know, create infinite human companions. Right. Uh, and that, that that is disallowed. Um, and uh, I think our final, final point here uh, to make uh, has to do with the scan itself, yeah. right? Um, so... Uh, whatever beings they are, they scanned everything in the world at one moment, right? At the moment of uh, a scan, they, it just captured everything. So, um, yeah, we're imagining like one single device somehow was able to, you know, molecularly scan the entire world at one instant. An extremely detailed just photograph of everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like Down to the molecule photo. level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so that includes the contents of hard drives, the contents of books. Uh, it does not... Now, it's all of that data is in the side the exec, right? And it's searchable, and it's part of the reason the exec knows what you're talking about when you try to build a world and, you know, you want to populate it uh, with something uh, fun. You want to put a, a, a pizza shop with great pizza in it. The reason it knows what pizza is is because it has this giant database of the world scanned, right? right um, that it can that it can reference. But there are limits on the search algorithm that the exec can perform, right? It's a very powerful algorithm, but again, it doesn't read people's minds, right? right. And we're so, not assuming that it has like sort of human style common sense either. It it it's very literal, so it can search things, but the more precisely you can define them the better it will search them and the more feedback you give it, it can learn from you. So if you want pizza that tastes exactly like the pizza that came from the, your favorite pizza shop when you grew up, um, you know, it has a scan of that pizza shop at the moment of scanning if that place happened to still exist. And if not, it still has, you know, paper records and recipes and lots of po photographs of pizza and stuff like that that it can uh, reference but it's going to still come up with like a sort of approximation and then you're going to have to tell it, oh, this is too sweet. It doesn't have enough uh, oregano, whatever. And then it can it can change its efforts until it gets it right. That's right. That's right. But you can't just say, uh, you know, give me my favorite pizza and leave it at that. Because, again, it can't read your mind. That's right. You gotta, right. right. Not you might even have to. Enough. You might even have to say, like, you know, it was, you know, near the spot where I was scanned. Uh, it was on that same block. It was on the corner. It had a red sign. Okay. And then, you know, it, it, it gets it, right? That's enough information. But right. you're giving it mostly quantitative, externalized data, right, that can be very concretely 
uh, described to it. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, there are some side effects of the fact that there's this giant database of the whole world at the time of scan that everybody can probe with their exec. Um, they're not going to be, th- these side effects are not going to be the focus of our story by any means, but it does kind of mean that uh, to some extent people's uh, lives as they existed at the moment of scan have sort of been made public for all to to search, right? Yeah, and not every single aspect is necessarily public, but a lot of data would leak that if you had the interest and you wanted to really interrogate the exec over this, you could probably discover quite a lot of um, people's secrets. So you might find out that your friend was lying to you before the transition about something uh, because you could actually ask the exec to, you know, open the diary that's in their desk drawer and and read it to you. Right. Um, again, that's not really going to be the focus of our story because, you know, this is kind of a big reset moment, right? So uh, everything changes. Uh, and so, I mean, to some extent, humans may dig up information on each other and try to use it against each other in some fashion. Um, but uh, it's also, everything is so different now that you got to assume some of that will become irrelevant very quickly, you know, whatever happened before the the transition, especially over time, because I think we're going to probably not start our story, you know, at the moment of scan, right? We're probably going to start our story 50 years or so in when people have started to adjust and just live with things as they are right rather than obsessing uh endlessly with what what has changed right right Right. um because that's not the that's not the part that we are we are as interested in right um and uh anything i forgot ted or anything else no that that's uh everything that i think we have decided so i think that catches you up and now if you uh heard that and you go but wait you guys are completely forgetting this. You should tweet us and tell us about it because uh, already some people have done that and it's been making it better. So we appreciate that. And uh, we are going to try to actually apply these rules and start to build out some of the world. And we'll be uh, hopefully you'll be uh, able to come with us on that journey as well. That's right. Yeah, I mean, part of the benefit of doing this now is that we can get, you know, maybe a little less abstract than we've been on the podcast so far, right? We can... Yeah, don't hold uh, your breath. <laughs> well, you know, we, you know, we're still us. Our personalities are not changing, but, uh, no. but, uh, with some of these sort of natural science, uh, universe rules basically figured out, we can start talking about character and story and culture and things, uh, you know, softer yeah. things. A little we more. have religions to build and, and I really want to get into story beats. I think we should, we should yeah. do some of that too. So That'll be what's coming up next. Please stay with us. Thank you for listening to our summary, and uh, we'll see you next time. This has been Constellation, Making the Graphic Novel. Our theme song is Pomona by Audios. To subscribe to this podcast, look us up on iTunes or your favorite podcatcher application. You can find us on Twitter or on the web at constellationpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.